Good morning, brothers and sisters. Praise God. Um, for the past two Sundays, we've been talking about how demons enter our lives. Uh, the first week, we talked about uh, demons enter our lives through unforgiveness. Um, Are you there? I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was on mute. Forgive me. Um, uh, I would say praise God, brothers and sisters. The past two weeks, we've been talking about how demons enter our lives. Um, the first week, we talked about how demons enter through unforgiveness. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians that um, if you do not let the sun go down on your anger and then do not give the devil a foothold. So when we're unforgiving, we open the door for Satan to come in and to oppress us. Um, and then the next week we talked about how demons enter through tradition, uh, traditions that work against the will of our Lord Jesus Christ for our lives, uh, traditions of divorce, traditions of, uh, sexual immorality, traditions of, uh, bad eating habits, traditions of bad financial decisions, just bad traditions that work against the will of the Lord Jesus for our lives. Um, those things also our means by which demons enter. We saw how uh, there was a demon possessed man sitting under the sitting right in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching, and how uh, despite sitting up under the word all that time, uh, he was still able to be demon possessed because either the, they were not challenging him with the word or he was not allowing himself to be challenged with the word because they were trying to hold on to their traditions. And uh, we talked about how one of the primary signs that a person has made a tradition an idol is if they get angry when they hear the word of God or a word of correction that challenges them to be more holy, to be more like Jesus Christ. Do you get angry when you hear the word of God? Does it make you upset um, when somebody comes to you with a word of correction? When somebody challenges your traditions, do you get mad? Your habits, your patterns of behavior that have been transferred down to you from generation to generation? Do you get, do you get upset by those things? And so, um, <clears throat> because those are the means, if we do, uh, then that just goes to show that that, that tradition has become an idol. And uh, the Bible says those who sacrifice to idols sacrifice to demons and not God. And so the point is, is that we don't want anything to do with demons. The Bible says the Lord has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so that's how we have to live. Um, it doesn't make any sense for Christians not to want Jesus and not to want Jesus with all of our heart. If you're saved, if you're truly born again, you're going to want Jesus and you're going to want to make him Lord of your life and askew or reject every other worldly influence um, in, 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 prep, in uh, choosing him over the world and over everything else. Um, so I want to continue our conversation on how demons enter our lives uh, with part three. Uh, how demons enter unclean things. Demons enter our lives through unclean things being in our life. <clears throat> like I said, brother, uh, Pastor Freeman has uh, indicated that I was, uh, I'm sick. I am a little sick, so be praying for me. And um, I miss you all. Like I said, I haven't been able to drive down there because it's actually dangerous for me to do that because I don't want to fall asleep on the road and then there won't be any more Pastor Austin. <laughs> so uh, just be praying for me. <clears throat> All right. So how demons enter unclean things. Let's look at in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. We want to look at how demons enter our lives <clears throat> and how to prevent that how demons enter our lives and how to prevent that. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not people we're fighting against. It's the spirits that are influencing them. If your person is filled with the Holy Spirit, who are you, going to, who are you dealing with? You're dealing with the Holy Spirit. If a person's under the influence of a demonic spirit, then what are you dealing with? A demonic spirit. You're not dealing with people. You're dealing with the spirit that's behind them. And so uh, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't want any dealings with any other spirit than the Holy Spirit. And we want to destroy all the works of Satan. That's the only thing that we want to have to do with Satan is to destroy everything that he does and destroy all of his works. 
All right, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. He says, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out, and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now, if you notice what the demons chose to enter, it wasn't just what they chose. Notice what they begged Jesus to enter. If, you, if we want to know what is attractive to demons, if we want to know where they like to make their home, Look at where they chose to live after they were cast out of the man. Look at where they chose. Look at where they begged to live after they were cast out, after they were cast out of the man. They chose the herd of pigs. Now, why? The pig was something unclean for God's people according to the law. If we look at it, if, if we look at, we, we find that in Leviticus in chapter 11, verse 7, he says, in Leviticus eleven seven he says, and the pig, because it, par it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. So what do we learn? Demons choose to live in things that are unclean for God's people. That's what they do. Demons choose to live in things that are unclean for God's people. And so what is the unclean thing? Well, first, Luke eleven twenty three: anything that is not for Christ is against Christ. And anything that works against the will of Christ in our lives is unclean for us. For Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty three, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So anything that works against the Lord Jesus Christ and his will in our lives is unclean, no matter what it is. If it's working against the will of Jesus for our lives, it's unclean. Second, there are three, three things. The first one is Luke eleven twenty three. 23. Anything that works against the will of Jesus for our life is unclean. Number two, anything that works against the truth is unclean for us. Anything that is of lies and deceit and deception, anything that works against the truth of the gospel and works against the truth, period, is unclean for us. Um... 2 Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 8. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. He says, for, <clears throat> excuse me. He says, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. So anything that works against the truth is unclean for you and me. And then lastly, anything that works against the Holy Spirit is unclean for us. Anything that works against the Holy Spirit is unclean for us. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 through 17, he says this. He says, and, and then looking at verse 18 through 21, he says this, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Now, what is the flesh? If if Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, if the Holy Spirit is working against something, the Holy Spirit is clean. The Holy Spirit is holy. He's pure. Right. So whatever he works against has to be the opposite of that. It has to be impure. It has to be unclean. And so what is the opposite of the spirit? What is the opposite of the works of the spirit in our life? It's the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are unclean. They are unholy. And so therefore they are things that demons like to inspire and things that promote it. They are, th are the things that they inhabit. He says, for example, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, these things are like a map, so to speak. It's just like Matthew, Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the uh, those who are uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Matthew chapter five is a map. For if you want to find Jesus, if you want to find Jesus, you will find him among those groups, the poor in spirit, the meek, the humble, the lowly, um, those who uh, mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, those who are reviled uh, and, and said all kind of false things about <clears throat> that's where you're going to find Jesus. Well, this verse here in um, um, uh, Galatians chapter five, verse 19 through 20 is also a map. It's a map for where you want to find demonic activity. If you want to find demonic activity and the, and the works of Satan, the influence of Satan, the direct influence of Satan, all you have to do is look for people and groups, TV shows, music, clubs, places, whatever, that do these things. If you want to know where Satan is and where demons are, all you have to do is look for these groups. People who are sexually immoral, you're under the influence of demons. People who live impure lives, you're under the influence of demons. People who, uh, in, uh, who support, engage in sensuality, you're under the influence of demons. Idolatry, anywhere where there's idolatry. You go to India and you go to some of these countries, there are demons everywhere. People are there. There are you cannot minister like one one Indian brother put it. You can't minister in the in the villages of India without knowing how to cast out demons because all those idols, all they have some three hundred million gods, and that's just in one country, three hundred million. But you find this idolatry all over the world. Wherever there's idolatry, there's demons. Anybody who practices sorcery, you know that it came from a demon. All the Harry Potter books, all the uh, Lord of the Rings, all this stuff that comes under the guise of uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all the stuff that comes under a, a so-called Christian theme, but it supports magic. <clears throat> Anything that promotes magic, witchcraft, sorcery, the occult, anything like that, where the uh, the enemgram, um, the the uh, uh, horoscopes. Um, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, any, any, any type of Wiccan, any type of spells and so anything like that, any type of oaths, pledges, secret societies, Freemasonry, Elks, anything like that, that's all sorcery. And, and that is under the influence of demons where you find enmity. Oh, wait a minute. Now we're starting to, we're starting to, we were looking, taking a macro view. Now we're starting to do micro, have a micro view here. Enmity. Where you find people fighting each other, uh, that's where you know there the, the demonic activity is happening. Wherever there's strife, conflict, je uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. Oh, rivalries not demonic. I thought it was just an innocent uh, uh, one one team versus another, one person versus another. No, no. Wherever there's rivalries especially among believers, you know that there's demonic influence there, dissensions, divisions, 
envy, drunkenness, ABC, wherever you see an ABC store, you know that was inspired by Satan. Anytime you see a liquor store, any type of liquor uh, area in, the, in, a, in any type of grocery store, Walmart, Target, wherever, you know that that is inspired by Satan because <clears throat> when you when you partake of those things, whether it's alcohol, whether it's weed, whether it's drugs, whether it's whatever, you open yourself up spiritually to demonic forces. And that's why a lot of these uh, musicians and artists, porn stars, all these folks, they all use drugs to to get in to either dumb to either uh, um, numb the pain or to open themselves up to demonic inspiration. And a lot of them have done that. They'll use drugs to open their mind up and to communicate with the netherworld, with, with, the, with the spirit realm, and get these messages from these demons. And uh, many of them practice witchcraft <clears throat> also. Um, and that is a form of witchcraft, by the way, because you're seeking, you're seeking power that's not the divine power. You're not seeking the power from God. You're, you're using a medium, which is the drug or the alcohol or the whatever, to open yourself up and get messages and get power from those spirits. Um, it, actors do the same thing. They use drugs or they'll channel spirits and whatever to perform in, in different movies and stuff like that. Um, envy, drunkenness, orgies, wherever you find orgies you, you find you know any type of groups of people having sex and all this kind of stuff wherever you find that you know it's under the inspiration of demons he said in things like these i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god which tells you something that the two are diametrically opposed to one another <clears throat> the kingdom of god and the kingdom of satan are night and day this is the exact opposite of what Jesus Christ stands for, which tells you that people who say that they can do these things and still uh, follow Jesus are of the devil. Any type of preacher, any artist, any musician, any actor who tries to merge the sacred and the profane is of the devil because he tells you right here that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much they profess Jesus and how much they love, say that they love Jesus and love God and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. The two kingdoms are diametrically opposed to one another. And so if you want to know, it's not, this is not hard to understand. If you want to know what is inspired by demons, what is of the demonic and what is not, look at, again, look at verse, um, uh, look at verses 19 through 22, 19 through 21. Now look at what is of the spirit. Look at what, look at the opposite. What is of the spirit? Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, if you want to find where the spirit of Jesus is, you look for these things. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So you see, he, he, the Bible here makes plain the two influencers in the world. There's only two. You see, you have the spirit, the Bible says, the, and I'm a, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the two influences in the world, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, and the two are obvious. Who is who? And, for, and that's what all what 1 John is all about. If you ever take the time to read 1 John, 1 John is all about you and me being able to tell the difference between who it belongs to God and who doesn't. Because we live in a time now where everybody says that they belong to Jesus. Everybody says they love Jesus. All these artists, all these actors, all these big name people, and, and in our culture and in our churches, everybody says they love Jesus but don't want to live like Jesus. They do the exact opposite of what Jesus did. They live in, they're living according to the works of the flesh and then at the same time want to claim Jesus. But this here, verses 19 through 23, tell us the difference between the two groups and who and what is influencing them. We know, verses 19 through 21, that that group is influenced the works of the flesh that group is influenced by Satan. They're under the control of demons. But we know from verse 22 through 23 that people who live like this are under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit of God. 
And that's that's the influence that's in their life. That's the roadmap. If you want to look for people who belong to Jesus Christ, this is what you look for. You don't look for money. You don't look for fame. You don't look for popularity. You don't look for likability. You don't look for any of that. You don't look for the, uh, uh, you know, like I said, the crowds, the big name, the this, the that, the looks. You don't look for any of that. If you want to know who belongs to Jesus Christ, you look first for, for love. And that's agape love, the love that only Jesus can provide. No other religion can provide that. Love, <clears throat> you look for joy, you look for peace, you look for patience, you look for kindness, you look for goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the sign of a person who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the two are diametrically opposed to each other. So both are roadmaps as to where you're going to find Jesus. <clears throat> both are roadmaps, but where you're going to find Jesus and the kingdom of Satan, the difference between the two and where you're going to find each one. So we don't be deceived by uh, by people who claim to be G claim to know the Lord and really don't know the Lord. <clears throat> and we and we have to accept that, brothers and sisters, we have to really accept that everybody who says that they know Jesus does not know Jesus, period. And people and yes, we're all on a journey. We're all growing. Um, obedience and submission to God's plan and his will take time. But if a person is deliberately working against the, uh, the word of God and actively working against the truth of God and actively working against <clears throat> the influence of the spirit in their life, if they're going against that, then we really have to question whether they know the Lord or not. Okay, we have to because a person who knows the Lord is going to be wanting to hunger and thirst and is hungry for righteousness and wants to hear the truth. And um, this is why, again, we talked about before, if a person is holding on to a tradition that is a belief and the patterns of behavior that come with it. And if they're choosing that over the truth of Jesus um, and his will for their life, then you have to question whether they truly know the Lord or not, um, because they're holding on to that idol and not Jesus. So it's a roadmap. Now, why must we abstain from the unclean thing? Why must we abstain from the unclean thing? Why, the, why is the message of separation from the world so strict? Why does the Lord expect that? Um, the message of separation is, so, is, is, a, is a theme found throughout the entire Bible. It's not in just one verse or another. You find it from the, almost the very beginning. What do you find in Genesis 12? You find Ab um, Noah in Genesis 6 even. Noah being called out from the world to build an ark. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham being called to separate from the world. Um, you find it in uh, Jacob. You find it in Joseph. You find it in the Exodus where the children of Israel are called to be set apart from Egypt. You find it in, um, in, in Joshua's conquest of the land. And the demand from God to destroy all of the pagan uh, idols and destroy those tribal groups that are in that in the immediate facility. You find Nehemiah building the walls of uh, I'm sorry Ezra separating from Persia, and, uh, and Nehemiah building up the walls of separation from the people. Why is that a consistent theme? Why? Why is it a consistent theme if God didn't intend for his people to be set apart from the world and for us to be completely distinct from the world? Why would he why would that be a consistent theme? We have to abstain from the unclean thing because the Lord has called us out to himself to be holy, to be a people unto himself. And we have to abstain from the unclean thing because it is the unclean thing that Satan uses to entice men into disobedience and rebellion. Satan uses the unclean thing, the works of the flesh that we saw here in math in Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. Satan uses the unclean thing to entice men into disobedience and rebellion. It's the hook so to speak. It's the bait. It's the trap. That's exactly what, that, that's what Satan promises. Uh, Satan always promises a fulfillment of the lusts of our flesh, whether it's pride, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's accomplishment, whether it's start our own thing. And, and by the way, you know, we would never think, oh my goodness, these divisions that we have, these denominations and these splits in the church, oh, that can't be demonic. That's just over points of doctrine. No, it is demonic. 
That's that's under the influence of Satan as well, because Paul even makes that point plain. Is Christ divided? First Corinthians and one, he talks about that. Is Christ divided? Hey, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized in the name of Apollos? Some of you say I follow Jesus. Some of you say I follow follow Cephas. Divisions, dissensions in the church are of the devil. It's a way for Satan to weaken us as a people to make us ineffective in our war <clears throat> against him. So Satan uses these things. He uses the works of the flesh to entice men into disobedience and rebellion. Now, he says uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, look at Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Let's look at that. <clears throat> he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So that just confirmed what I just said there. In Galatians chapter 5, what do the demons do? The demons encourage the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, S S Satan is not omnipresent, okay? He's not omnipresent. One thing we have to remember is that he's not God, okay? He's not God. He's not omnipresent. That means omnipresence everywhere present. He's not that. Um, so how is he at work in all the sons of disobedience? That's the question. How is he at work in all the sons of disobedience? That's what he says in the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. How, how does he do that? And so what, well, just real quick, a sidebar here, just really quick. Um, how, you know, another instance of how, you know, somebody's under the influence of Satan is if they're a disobedient person, because th that's, that's how, you know, if you're, if they're a disobedient person, you're under the influence of Satan period, because Satan is the spirit at work and the sons of disobedience. You can't be following Jesus and, and have an attitude of disobeying and rebellion. You just can't. You're under the influence of Satan. So how does Satan do it? First, Satan is at work in the spirits of in the sons of disobedience by imprinting his pride and rebellion into our hearts, into our human nature after the fall. This is exactly what Jesus talks about when he says, he who sins is a slave of sin. God gave man dominion over the world. He gave man dominion over the world. And that dominion was secure as long as man was in obedience to God. But once mankind decided to listen to Satan instead of God, then what happened? The authority that man had over the world was handed over to Satan. Thus, the Bible describes Satan as the God of this world or this present age. He is the God of that. He is not capital G God because the Lord God of heaven is the true and living God, rules supreme over all things. But Satan is the God of this world, this age, this world system because Adam handed his authority over to him. So now because he handed his authority over to him and because Adam sinned, both Adam and Eve sinned, Satan, because we, because they listened to the devil, they imprinted, Satan imprinted his pride and his rebellion into us, into our human nature. So now every child born after Adam and Eve are imprinted with this same rebellious, sinful nature. So that's how. That's that's one way. Okay. <clears throat> the second way is the air. The Bible again describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air, meaning the medium of sound and image, the airwaves. Okay, the airwaves. The airwaves, catch this, the airwaves, we're talking about TV, music, movies, television, commercials, the air, the air, 
the medium of the air. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, of the air. Sound and image combined. Okay, and, and it evolved as the technology evolved. So Satan's power and influence evolved because the human brain has no natural defenses against sound and image. I don't care what people say. You cannot escape sound and image. That's why music is so powerful. And what did the Bible describe Satan as in Ezekiel 28? The Bible describes Satan as having instruments coming out of his body. The Bible says your pipes and tabrets were in you in the day that you were created. Pipes, tabrets, those are instruments. T tabrets are tambourines, right? That's that's what that word means. Pipes. So he's like, he was an instrument in heaven. He was like an instrument. And so sound and image, and he had both. The Bible describes Satan as having both. The Bible says every precious stone adored him. So when the light of God was reflecting off of those precious stones, it looked like his name, the son of the dawn. He was so brilliant, so, so, um, splendid of a creature in heaven reflecting the light of the lord making music creating worship for god and the bible even describes him as having sanctuaries in the world like this is before um this is the pre-earth before uh, the before genesis between genesis 1 1 and 1 2 do you find that there's a whole nother description of earth uh, so, you know, where he's, he's, the Bible says your sanctuaries were uh, throughout the earth. And what were they doing? They were, he was creating worship for God. So here, here he is reflecting the light of God in the presence of God and in the presence of these angels. And so he gets the bright idea and says, well, you know, I could be God. I, I could be like the most high. I, I can be like him. And so that's where Isaiah 14 comes in. He says, I will ascend. I will do this. I will do that. I will make myself like the most high. Five I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will make myself like the most high. So anyway, so Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The, he, he combines sound and image, the two things that the human brain has no natural defense against it. I don't care what anybody says. You cannot escape sound and image. You can't. You can remember, there's a reason why you and I can remember songs going back 10, 20, 30 years ago. We can recall songs. I can recall songs going back to the 90s. You know what I mean? I can recall songs going back that far because why? The brain has no defense against it. Once it hits your brain, it's there. It's imprinted on your brain. And that's why Satan uses it. We have no natural defense against it. So Satan combines sound and image with uncleanness. Catch what I just said. Satan combines sound and image with uncleanness. He combines sound and image with sexual immorality. He combines sound and image with homosexuality you see it in every movie every commercial every even in the kids cartoons in the books where, where where they got elementary school kids being exposed to transgender what you think that's for why do you think they dress like that why do you think they're trying to dress like that in front of the kids there's a reason for that because they're trying to imprint that image into their brain to show that it's okay. There's a reason why they're just not putting it in newspapers with no pictures and no words. They're not, there's always, there's a reason why the transgender or the homosexual or whoever gets up when they, they got to get up. They show them dressing as a female or a female dressing as a male. And then they give them a, let them do a speech. There's a reason for that. And then they record it. And then they put it on the news or they put it in a TV show or they put it in a commercial, a cartoon, whatever. There's a reason for that because the combination of sound and image is, the, is, is what causes the most, is the most impressionable on the brain. Cause the greatest impression on the brain. So he combines that sound and image with uh, homosexuality, sound and image with lust, all these movies where they're just licking all over each other and kissing each other, sound and image with profanity, sound and image with violence, sound and image with indecent exposure of the body, sound and image with the occult, sound and image with witchcraft and magic. You see, that's, that's, they make, and, and they make the stuff look cool. They make it look acceptable. They make it look playful. They make it look fun. 
You see, sound and image, the Harry Potters, the Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow, they're flying on brooms. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, they've got this stick. Oh, they oh, they, they cast this spell. And man, all these cute little fun creatures and stuff, they sound an image. That's what Satan uses to entice men into rebellion and to think that that stuff is cool to get them to engage in it. And, and, and then after that, they end up destroying themselves. For example, you just had a situation in, um, I think it was Mexico um, or Central, one of those Central, one of the Central American countries or South American countries, Central South America, where in school, in school, in school, they're sitting up here practicing, uh, playing with the Ouija board. And they were playing with the Ouija board, and 28 of those kids ended up passing out and having to go to the hospital. They had to rush 28 of those girls into the hospital, which is a class. I mean, they were doing it in class. And what ended up happening? They learned that from somewhere, and they ended up having to be rushed to the hospital. So that's precisely what Satan does. Satan combines sound with image with uncleanness. And he puts it in the commercials. He puts it in the he puts it the uncleanness in the television shows. He puts it the the, the uncleanness in movies and music. Why? To entertain his way into the souls of men and control how they think. That's why he does it. He puts, he combines sound and image with uncleanness and unholiness and anti-Christ likeness, anti-Christ likeness, anti-Christ material. Why? To control the way that we think. He entertains his way into our souls to control how we think. This is a battle for control of the mind. That's what all this is. All of the what preaching is, what teaching is, what studying the scriptures is, are, what singing his praises are. All of these things are an attempt to control your mind and bring your mind under the influence of God. Well, Satan counterfeits that. Satan counterfeits that. Well, how do I get people to follow me? I combine sound and image with uncleanness. And that way I can entertain my way into their soul and then I can could get them to follow me. You see, what do you think rapping is? When people sing along, this is what folks got to understand about the power of music. When, you, when you're singing along with a song, like we just sang today, um, uh, all, the, all the sing songs that we, that we did this morning, and we're singing along, that's teaching. That's programming. When people rap, to hip-hop music, and they're rapping the lyrics, blankety-blank this and blankety-blank that, F this and F that, the B this and the B, the whole that, whatever, whatever. They're educating. That's education. You're being trained. You're programming your brain. There's a reason why when you watch TV, for instance, they call TV programming because you are programming your brain to think a certain way. This is why we have to be extremely careful about what we listen to and what we watch because we are being programmed without even knowing it. So that's what Satan does. Satan combines sound, image, and uncleanness and packages, packages it together, puts it in movies, puts it in TV, puts it in commercials. And then some of you might think, oh, well, you know, <clears throat> that's, only, that's only a... Um, that's that's only a uh, that, that's just recent. They didn't start doing this until the you know, 1930s when motion pictures came out. You don't think Satan was using sound and image in the past? Of course he was. What do you think a lot all those Roman plays and all that all that stuff was? <clears throat> all the uh, bathhouses and all the whorehouses and all the idols and stuff were. And then take ne take Nebuchadnezzar for as example. Why do you think with the golden image? When they were worshiping the golden, uh, Nebuchadnezzar commanded people to worship the golden image. Why do you think he had them bow down to the sound of music? He said, when you hear X instruments, you hear the lyre, you hear the zither, you hear this and that, this and that, bow down. And what's the image? The golden statue. Sound and image packed together. See, Satan has been doing this for thousands of years. It's nothing new. Combining sound and image to lead people <clears throat> astray to follow him. 
So he does that. He does that to control the way that we think. Um, I have personally experienced with this in terms of uh, t uh, uh, the influence of uh, uh, the, the air, the medium of the airwaves, movie, music, television, uh, <clears throat> influencing people to follow Satan. I mean, for instance, uh, I remember um, I had a gun <clears throat> pulled out on me once. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a gun pulled out on me once when I was uh, in middle school at the brown pen because a, a kid said he got hi quote unquote hyped up watching uh new york city new york new jack city he got hyped up watching that movie and he wanted to take his gun out and he you know pulled it he, he pulled the gun out on me and pointed at me um other instances of uh, like take like take a very popular name kanye west he was influenced down his wrong path uh, by his uncle's pornography magazines. Again, image. Many other people um, watching pornography or watching Jeffrey Dahmer, same thing. Jeffrey Dahmer said he got his start with pornography. They, the CIA used pornography to break down terrorists in Iraq. That goes to show you something about sound and image, the power of it. Um, so I've had there, all of us are influenced one way or the other by sound and image. Our culture is influenced by sound and image. And it controls the way that we think. Now, Carter G. Woodson um, says, he's the father of black history. He says in his outstanding book, The Miseducation of the Negro. Now, the quote I'm about to give you has been adapted slightly for this message, but I encourage you to go back and, um, and read the original. He says this, he says, if you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. Do you hear that? If you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. That was one of the things that made Hitler so popular, so powerful, was the fact that he completely brainwashed his all of Germany. He completely brainwashed Germany and got the people to do whatever he wanted. If you could control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his action. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself. He goes on. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that a particular sin, and this is my adaptation here. If you make a man feel that a particular sin is acceptable, you do not have to compel him to engage in it. If I tell like today, if I have to tell people, if, 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 um, if I make people, if our culture and society makes people feel that homosexuality and LGBTQI plus is acceptable, you don't have to compel people to do it. They're going to seek it themselves. And that's what they're doing. People, there's more homosexuality in this country now and in the world now than there's probably ever been. Just as there's been more division in the church now than there's ever been. Because if you can make people feel that a particular sin is acceptable, you do not have to compel them to engage in it. You don't. If they feel like lying is acceptable, you don't have to tell a person to, to lie to, if they feel that it's acceptable because they're going to lie on their own. If a person feels that stealing is acceptable, you don't have to tell them to steal because they're going to they're going to steal by themselves. If you tell if they feel like selfish ambition and, and living a self-willed life is acceptable, <clears throat> if, they, if, if it's acceptable, then you don't have to tell them to do it because they're going to do it on their own. If you make a man think that a sin is being unjustly withheld from him, you do not have to order him to find a way. He will go without being told. That's what the whole feminist movement was all about. People who felt like sexual liberation and certain rights, marital rights, were being withheld from them. So what did they do? They went and marched and protested, and an antichrist president gave it to them. He says, and if there is no way, his very nature will demand one. So if you can control a person's thinking, you control their behavior. Now you see why it's so important for us to separate. Now, some of you might think that I'm making this stuff up, that it's just me. 
I'm I'm the one who is just coming up with this. I'm just, you know, Pastor Austin's just freestyling. He's just coming up with his um own thing. But Hollywood knew this stuff back in 1930. When when Hollywood and motion picture first got started, they knew what they were doing. And they knew the power of the new medium of television and movies. I want to read you, and, and because they knew the power of it, they developed what's called the Hayes Code, H-A-Y apostrophe S, the Hayes Code of 1930. And I want to read you just a few excerpts from that just to show you that they knew exactly what they were doing and the power of the, of the medium of music, movies, and television. They say, they say this, if motion pictures... Bear with me here, okay? If motion pictures present stories that will affect lives for the better, they can become the most powerful force for the improvement of mankind. They recognize their, their responsibility to the public because of this trust and because entertainment and art are important influences in the life of a nation. No picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. Correct standards of life. Now, mind you, this is the Hayes Code. This is the motion picture production code. This is, what, this is the code that Hollywood came up with to govern themselves because of this new media. medium. He says, no picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. Correct standards of life, subject only to the requirements of drama and entertainment, shall be presented. Law, natural or human, shall not be ridiculed, nor shall sympathy be created for its violation. They say, <clears throat> excuse me, mankind has always recognized the importance of entertainment and its value in rebuilding the bodies and souls of human beings. But it has always recognized that entertainment can be a character either helpful or harmful to the human race. And in consequence, has clearly distinguished between A, entertainment which tends to improve the race, or at least to recreate and rebuild human beings exhausted with the realities of life. Entertainment and B, entertainment which tends to degrade human beings or to lower their standards of lit life and living. So they acknowledged that entertainment, that the music, the movies, the, the movies, and, and music too, because the two are combined, that the movies can either build up and improve a person's standard of life, i.e. point them to God, or they can degrade and lower the standards of life, of life and living, i.e. point them to Satan. Hence, the moral importance of entertainment is something which has been universally recognized. Check out this point. It, in, it, it enters intimately into the lives of men and women and affects them closely. It occupies their minds and affections during leisure hours and ultimately touches the whole of their lives. This is what they said about movies in 1930. It occupies their minds and affections during leisure hours and ultimately touches the whole of their lives. A man may be judged by his standard of entertainment as easily as by the standard of his work. Can you imagine that they said this? He says a man can be judged for who he is by what he entertains himself by, just as much as by how he works. He says, so correct entertainment raises the whole standard of a nation. Wrong entertainment, that is entertainment that turns you to Satan, wrong entertainment lowers the whole living conditions and moral ideals of a race. Can you imagine? They wrote this in 1930. Hollywood wrote this in 1930. He says, here, as in entertainment, art enters intimately into the lives of human beings. Art can be morally good, lifting men to higher levels. This has been done through good music, great painting, whatever. Art can be morally evil, 
in its effects. This is the case clearly enough with unclean art, indecent books, suggestive drama. The effect on the lives of men and women are obvious are obvious. He says it's obvious. It's obvious. It's obvious what uh, the unclean thing does to you. That These heathen knew this in 1930. They knew it. The effect on the lives of men and women are obvious. This is Hollywood talking. He says, it has been argued that art itself is unmoral, neither good nor bad. This is true of the thing which is music, painting, poetry, etc. But the thing is the product of some person's mind and the intention of that mind was either good or bad morally when it produced the thing so either they were under the influence of the holy spirit or they were under the influence of a demonic spirit or satan himself he says besides the thing has its effect upon those who come into contact with it so again, going back to Galatians chapter five, entertainment music, music is either going to point you to Jesus and more and the fruits of the spirit, or it's going to point you to the flesh, which is under the, under the influence of Satan. He says, besides the thing has its effect upon those who come into contact with it in both these ways, that is as a product of a mind and as the cause of definite effects. So he's saying that, inter that art movies and so on as a product of somebody's mind and imagination, it has definite effects. It has deep moral significance and unmistakable moral quality. So for people who say, um, oh, it doesn't bother me, or oh, it's nothing, or oh, we can look past it, and oh, it doesn't matter. You're, you're ignoring what people who, who found it, Hollywood, they, they knew this. They knew it. They knew it has a direct influence on the person. It's going to point you either to Jesus or it's going to point you to Satan. It has a moral quality. He says, it, he says, unmistakable moral quality. Hence, the motion pictures, which are the most popular of modern arts for the masses, have their moral quality from the intention of the minds which produce them. So if, if, um, so if, for example, if I'm trying to push homosexuality on the, on the population, if I'm trying to push Satan's agenda of empowering the works of the flesh, that is the moral quality. That is the agenda behind me putting that material and content in the music, movies, television, and art. The unclean thing. And this is, again, why we have to be extremely careful with what we watch, because these people are under the influence of demons. He says, he says, hence the motion pictures, which are the most popular of modern arts for the masses, have their moral quality from the intention of the minds which produce them and from their effects on the moral lives and reactions of their audiences. So they know when they put, so Satan knows if I can combine sound and image with the unclean thing, the works of the flesh then what, what that's going to do is that is going to degrade the morality of the masses. That's going to lead them to, uh, again, follow, let Satan control their lives, take them away from God and destroy their society, which is what we're seeing today. Homosexuality and LGBT and transgender, they have twice the suicide rate of everybody else. In our country, we have 50% divorce rate. Where do you think this stuff comes from? You got 90% black on black crime, 90%, 80% of our children are born out of wedlock or have some kind of contact with social services. Where do you think this stuff comes from? Where do you think hip hop comes from? Who do you think is behind that, pu pushing that content on the masses? Who, 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 what, what agenda is behind that? It's Satan. It's the works of Satan. It's population control to try to destroy humanity and take them straight to hell where Satan is going to be going for all eternity, the lake of fire. So he says it affects their moral lives and the reactions for all. This gives them a most important morality. They reproduce. Now, this is what he says about movies. They reproduce the morality of the men who use the pictures 
as a medium for the expression of their ideas and ideals. So don't let anybody tell you that lie that is benign. It's not. Movies, music, and television are reproducing the moral ideas of the producer. That's what they're doing. The person who made the movie, the person who wrote the song, the person who did whatever. These medium, this, this quote unquote art is reproducing their morality. So in other words, if a person is under the influence of demons and it reinforcing the works of the flesh, they're, they're, when they put that in their music, when they put killing and cussing and sex in the music and movies and television, all the creators are doing is reproducing what's in them. They're reproducing after the spirit that is in them. And so what happens when I receive that, when I take that into my heart, when I watch it, when I enjoy it, when I'm laughing and cheering for the drug dealer or for the villain or for whatever, when I'm cheering for the anti-God thing, I'm welcoming that spirit into my life. I'm welcoming that demon into my life. That's why we have to stay away from the unclean thing because it is a reproduction, especially in TV, music, movies, and television and so on. Because what we're doing is we're taking that unclean thing. We're taking that demon that came from the producer, the creator. We're taking their demon and welcoming it into our lives. He says, they reproduce the morality of the men who use the pictures as a medium for the expression of their ideas and ideas. They affect the moral standards of those who through the screen take in these ideas and ideals. He says, for this reason, no picture shall be produced which will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. Hence, the important objective, and I'm, I'm almost through here. I just wanted to read this last part. This is the last part here. Hence, the, the I just wrote, read you excerpts because you all need to know this stuff. You all need to know this stuff. So many people do not know this even exists and don't pay attention to it. These people knew back in 1930 what this medium was going to do. He says, hence, the important objective must be to avoid the hardening of the audience. Why did they say the hardening of the audience? Because that's what sin does. Sin hardens the audience. It hardens you. If I'm constantly watching movies with TV, with killing, cussing, sex, pornography, uh, transgender, lying, gossip, what does that do? That hardens me to sin. That desensitizes me to the working of the Holy Spirit, to the, to the inclination, to the, to the uh, um, unctions of the Spirit. It, it deafens me to that. It hardens my heart to that. I stop getting upset. I stop getting offended. I stop getting all this. That's how they're able to introduce all this. First, it was the sexual revolution. Then it was the homosexual revolution. Now, because they've been, because Obama opened the floodgates for homosexuality and people getting married, homosexuals getting married. Now our hearts have become hardened to it. We're not, we're desensitized. We're used to it. And so what now? And that's why they flood so much of entertainment with it because they want us to get used to it and accept it. Now, what are they doing? They're coming after the children. You see, because we become so hardened to sin, because we become so desensitized to sin, what happens? Now they're able to come after the children because you don't care anymore. Your, your care is gone. Your guard is down. This is why when people tell me, oh, well, Pastor Austin, it don't bother me none. It don't bother me none. It don't, I don't get offended by that stuff. That tells me that you are not being influenced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not talking to you. And this is why he says here in this, in this Hayes Motion Picture Code of 1930, he says the important objective must be to avoid the hardening of the audience, especially of those who are young and impressionable. To the thought and fact of crime, people can become accustomed even to murder, cruelty, brutality, and repellent crimes if these are free, too frequently repeated. That's what I just said. You see, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you that Satan is doing. He's been combining sound and image for thousands of years, merging it with the unclean thing, putting it in front of people over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, desensitizing people. Then they're welcoming that stuff into their life. They're welcoming it into our heart. They're welcoming it into their home and they're doing it.
They're acting on it because Satan has gained control of the mind. And if a person can, if you, if one, whoever controls your mind controls you, whatever you give your mind to, you give yourself to. Let's close with Joshua in chapter seven. Joshua chapter seven, and we'll close. <clears throat> I hope we've gotten something out of this today. Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua is dismayed because he had sent a small contingent of people to go and attack Ai and the people of Ai had defeated them. Uh, now, why did this happen? Because God is with them. He's, he's promised that he'd be with them. He promised that he'd defeat the enemies and defeat the foe before them. <clears throat> so in Joshua chapter six, with the situation with Jericho, God made it plain. He said, um, destroy everything and keep nothing. That's what the Lord said. God told Joshua, go into Jericho, destroy everything, keep nothing. Any, because it's all under the ban. It's cursed. Don't touch nothing. Don't bring nothing out. Destroy, burn, wreck everything, and then come out with nothing in your hand. But there was disobedience. And so because there was disobedience, somebody took something under the ban that the Lord had forbid. And what happened? They became cursed. Now, this is, again, what happens when you touch the forbidden thing. Now, mind you, when, when they attacked Ai, after they had destroyed Jericho, um, they attacked Ai, and some 30-something uh, people ended up being killed, and the children of Israel ended up being defeated. The whole movement stopped. The whole movement, the whole forward progression of Joshua and the children of Israel stopped because of this one act of disobedience. Right. Jericho was one of the first places uh, west. What is that? East of the uh, west of the Jordan that they had conquered, that they were that they had conquered. The whole advance of the nation of God's people stopped because of their because of one act of disobedience. So Joshua tears his robe and is like, Lord, what on earth is going on? Well, he, he, he sat there before the Lord before noon. He sat there like, Lord, why? Verse 10 of Joshua uh, chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. There are devoted things. There are things in our life that God has devoted to destruction. Everything of Galatians chapter 5 that we read that are the works of the flesh, that stuff is devoted to destruction. If you look at Revelation 21, the things that's going to the lake of fire, cowardly, unbelieving, vile, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and all liars, all of that is doomed for destruction. So anything of that in this life now that we participate in makes us subject to destruction. Any work of the flesh that has control over us makes us subject to destruction. He says, they have taken some of the devoted things. That's the things devoted to destruction. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, because they have not separated, because they touched the unclean thing, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before the enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And this is how we avoid the influence of demons through the unclean thing. We must destroy, we must eliminate from our lives everything that the Lord says is devoted to destruction. Every unclean, every unholy thing, every portal, doorway, opening for demons to come in, any music, movies, and television, and commercials and shows that we've been watching and enjoying, anything that opens the door for demons to come in, we must destroy it. We must cut it off from us. We must separate from it. He says, because if we don't, 
If we don't do these things, if we don't destroy those things that God hates, if we don't hate what God hates and love what he loves, then we become subject to destruction. The thing, the thing that he says is going to be destroyed. If we're attached to that, we're going to be destroyed too. That's why the Bible says, uh, told Lot to get out of Sodom, get out. Because if you're there, you're going to be destroyed right along with it. So we must separate. We must get rid of the unclean thing out of our life because that is the thing that Satan is attaching himself to and gaining access, influence, and control over our lives. That's how he's doing it, through the unclean thing, controlling our lives, controlling our mind, and so controlling our behavior and beliefs. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. We pray that by your goodness and grace, that we would separate ourselves from the unclean thing. Heavenly Father, we pray for the courage that whatever it takes, whatever we lose, whatever friends we lose, whatever discomfort we cause, whatever, wh whoever, whatever friendships are severed, wherever, whatever pleasures we deny, Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would count it all joy for the sake of following you, Heavenly Father, in your great and mighty name. May we have eternity in view. May we not trade the eternal gift of you for something temporary, as Esau did, trading his birthright for a bowl of soup. Lord of heaven, he traded the eternal for the temporary. Heavenly Father, we don't ever want to do that. We don't ever want to trade the eternal for the temporary, Heavenly Father. So we pray that you would identify, help us identify the unclean things in our life and give us the strength, the courage, the discipline, the fear of you to destroy it from our life, Heavenly Father, to close the door to Satan and to open the door to you and to you only, Heavenly Father. We love you and we praise you and we believe in you that you'll give us the grace to do it, Lord, because it's all in you. We need you. We need you and we love you and thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.